this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. It is a great honor and very humbling thing to stand before you today uh, while our pastor is away. Uh, one of the musicians, when they first walked in this morning, said, Hi, Thurman. I said, Brother, you're wrong, but if you think I'm Thurman, I gained some weight and I got a really good tan. So, but I'm thankful that he's getting some R&R. Uh, I think everybody needs that. hope you've had your time of vacation this year already. So I'm looking forward to mine next month, Lord willing. So... But this morning, uh, it's, it's, it's weird being having to do this a second time. Um, you know, this morning, it's like I, I should have preached something different for the second, <laughs> second service because it's, it's hard to duplicate that. But as David told me earlier, don't duplicate. Just, just go with what the Lord says, right? Say, okay, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, to most of you, uh, many of you all probably memorize this. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and turn also. And as you know, this is a psalm, a particular psalm that's been used in, uh, mostly for funerals. But there are folks that believe that uh, David did not write this just for funerals. He wrote it for all of the, all the segments of our lives. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. So as we uh, turn to Psalm 23, you can just follow along as I read. I'm in the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for just every day of our life. It's a gift from you. We pray, Father, this morning as we look into this great passage of Scripture, that you'd speak to us individually where we're at in in our stage of life. That, Lord, that as we go verse by verse, that, Lord, you'd not only speak but motivate us, Father, to action as to what you would have us to do uh, in in our place of responsibility uh, with what you communicate to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Help us to be teachable. And Lord, help me to just be faithful and expound your word uh, in all of its truth and in all of its glory. And we'll give you the praise for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love going to the circus. I haven't been in a while, but when I was there, you know, I used to always enjoy watching the animals. It's amazing to me how these trainers can train lions, tigers, even elephants. It's amazing how they do that. But one thing that I've noticed is that they never have sheep at the circus. Has any of y'all ever seen sheep at the circus? I haven't. 
Can you imagine, you know, you know that ring that they set on fire? Can you imagine the sheep jumping through that? That would look pretty funny. I've never seen that happen, but sheep are pretty crazy animals. They're, they're dumb animals. They need to be led. They need a leader all the time. Uh, they're, they're just prone to trouble. They're very scared animals. And, you know, I've never been a shepherd. I don't know what it's like to shepherd sheep. In fact, the extent of my shepherding experience is going to Food Lion and buying lamb chops. My daughter loves them. And uh, the other experience that I have about, you know, sheep is watching that show Lamb Chops from days gone by. Remember that? Some of y'all do. Let me see your hands. Yeah. That lady put her hand in a sock, a white sock, and she went like this and entertained people for years like that. Imagine trying to do that with kids today. They'd shut it right off. I'm not listening to anybody with a sock in the, you know, in the hand in the sock. So, you know, and then you have that picture of the uh, coyote and the big sheep. Remember that cartoon? When, you know, when coyote would always try to take the sheep away from the big sheep dog. And the sheep dog, he'd never, do, he'd never lift a finger. And a coyote always had a big rock fall on him or, he'd, you know, the rope would get cut or he'd get blown up in some way. So uh, that's the extent of my, of my sheep experience. And it's been a great privilege for me to study about sheep this week and a previous week just getting ready for this message. Um, how many of y'all in here have ever counted sheep to try to get to sleep? That's the craziest thing in the world to me. Hey, you want to get to sleep? Count sheep. So I tried it. I'm laying in bed, eyes wide awake. One, two. Four o'clock in the morning, I'm still counting. You know what people used to count now? They count Tylenol PM. That's how they get to sleep and all the other strong medicines to get us to sleep. Boy, I tell you, it's amazing. But Psalm 23, this morning, we're going to try to gain a focus on its biblical meaning and draw from its uh, scriptural truths for us today. So as we look at it, you know, we're looking at... Christ is the good shepherd. I'm going to read this to you in a second here. So how did we get Psalm 23? A lot of people believe it was from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15 when Absalom gained power and loyalty uh, in Jerusalem and the people's affections went to him and, and David saw it coming that he was going to become the ruler. So he took his subjects and fled out of Jerusalem and went out into the wilderness And while he was out there in the wilderness, as you know, David used to be a shepherd in his younger days working for his father. So he was out there in the wilderness, and a lot of people believe that, you know, being back out there in that wilderness helped him to remember the things that he used to do as a shepherd, taking care of his flock. And some people also believe that this psalm was written at the end of David's life, looking back on his life and trying to get, you know, uh, looking back at the goodness of God and his experience, you know, from his uh, days as king. So David worked as a shepherd uh, in his younger years for his father. And in Psalm 23, this is, a, this is an important thing that we need to understand as we, as we look at this. David is speaking as if he were the sheep to a shepherd. So while we're reading this, try to imagine that verses 1 through 4 is going to show us that. So let's, take, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. David uses the metaphor 
of a shepherd to describe his relationship with God because he was very familiar with being a shepherd. And look at the word my there. The Lord is my shepherd. David, when you look at the word my, that, that is a symbol of intimacy that he had with God. He, was, he had a very tight, close relationship with God. Sure, David was a sinner. David sinned in his life. I mean, he, he did some pretty dastardly things. You know, he committed adultery, and he even plotted to have the man, you know, who the woman, you know, he committed adultery with, the husband of that woman, killed, and he did. Pretty horrible things that he did. So God is not shy about exposing the sins of even of his, great, even of his greatest servants. All of us have faults, don't we? So, um, but as David came to realize, he was forgiven by God for that, and, and, you know, and through that experience and through many of his experiences, he realized the goodness of God. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And so all of the next four verses flowing from this uh, talks about his relationship with God. And let's talk a little bit about shepherd's work. That's very hard work. It was 24-7. You're out there with the sheep in all kinds of weather. You're out there with the sheep you know, protecting them from wolves and bears and lions. I don't know about you, but if I saw a wolf or a bear or a lion, I would run away. But David stood his ground. In fact, he, you know, he, he stood up against a worldwide federation wrestler of his time and chopped his head off at the same time. His name's Goliath. So uh, being a shepherd was not easy work. Uh, he nurtured the sheep. He guided the sheep. He protected the sheep. He risked his very own life. He was, the, the shepherd was everything and a constant protector for the sheepfold. That's, that's who the shepherd was. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Look at this quote by uh, Philip Keller. And it's beautiful. He says, relating to the Lord is my shepherd. When, so when the simple though sublime statement is made by a man or a woman that the Lord is my shepherd, it immediately implies a profound yet practical working relationship between a human being and his maker. It links a lump of common clay to divine destiny. It means a mere mortal becomes the cherished object of divine diligence. This thought alone should stir my spirit, quicken my own sense of awareness, and lend enormous dignity to myself as an individual. To think that God in Christ is deeply concerned about me as a particular person, immediately gives great purpose and enormous meaning to my short sojourn upon this planet. That's beautiful. So, as we look at that, and David's relationship to his Lord, that he is my shepherd, we come to the second part of that, I shall not want. And this deals with contentment. So, uh, David, David knows what it's like to be a shepherd to these sheep, but if sheep were left to themselves, listen to this, they lack everything, they're totally helpless and defenseless, they're unable to care for themselves, they become endangered and afraid, they're leaderless, and they what? They begin to wander. They wander off by themselves. But under a shepherd's care, all of their needs are abundantly met, just like ours are met. Nothing good is lacking. They will have everything necessary for enjoying life to the fullest, and they're contented, satisfied, and fulfilled. There's a good Hebrew term to describe that. It's called fat, dumb, and happy. So 
when we are satisfied in the Lord, we can have contentment. Look at this uh, quote by Chuck Swindoll regarding contentment. The good life exists only when we stop wanting a better one. The itch for things is a virus draining the soul of contentment. You know, we live in a very uncontented world, don't we? I was telling the earlier audience this morning that I remember when I, first, when I bought a new car. And I was so apprehensive about getting that thing scratched. I would park miles and miles away from people. I'd wash it. I'd buff it. I'd detail the interior. And then one day I got a scratch on that car. <laughs> I tried to buff it out. I did what I can to it. It, it. it just wasn't going away. Then one day, as I was buffing it, I had to get down on my knees. And my arms were up like this. I told this to a Sunday school class some time back ago. And I looked at my position. I was kneeling, and I had my arms up in the air as if I was worshiping that thing. But you know what? As time went on, the luster of that brand-new car wore off for me. In fact, I ended up wanting another car. Isn't that just like human nature? We buy something, we think we're going to be happy with it, and then later on, we want something else. I want the ZX, and then I want the ZX2, and then the ZX3, and now they came out with the ZX1000. What are we going to do? You know, we're just never contented. So verse 2, sheep are, uh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. So as I mentioned, sheep are naturally fearful animals and they're easily panicked when scared and do not lie down to rest if they're, if they're scared. Yesterday I was supposed to go to Bush Gardens. I was going to take the family over there, but we got diverted for some reason. We realized some other responsibilities we need to take care of. And then we realized also that it was going to be pretty crowded. So we ended up going to a farm out in uh, Hampton. And they had farm animals over there. And of all things, guess what they had? They had sheep. And you could buy this food for a dollar, and you could feed these things. In fact, I posted a video on Facebook of myself feeding an emu, and that was very painful. I do not recommend that. And put your hand out there, and they literally almost chop it in pieces trying to get the food out of your hand. But when I extended that food out to the sheep, it was very timid. It was afraid. It looked at me with great suspicion until it gained its trust, until it looked at me. I looked at him, and then he slowly crept up to me, and then he nibbled the food out of my hand. It's quite tickling, too, by the way. But anyway, sheep are very, very scared animals. Only the shepherd can provide the calm and assurance that they need to lie down in green pastures. So one thing to know about sheep, in order for them to lay down, they must be free of four things. Number one, they need to be free from feeling afraid. We can't sleep when we feel afraid, can we? That's fear. They need to be free from friction with others of their own kind. Sometimes one particular sheep will try to dominate the others until the shepherd shows up and then he calms down. Another thing that prevents them from laying down is that they need to be free from torment, flies, and parasites. That's harassment. They need to be free from the threat of starvation, hunger. So if those four things are evident and and are present, they're not going to be able to lie down at all. So verse 2, Philip Keller says, Now just as the physical body has a capacity and need for for water, so Scripture 
points out to us clearly that the human personality, the human soul, has a capacity and need for the water of the Spirit of the eternal God. He leads me beside still waters. I was in the Navy. I was in the U.S. Navy back in 1994, or around that time when I first made my first deployment. And believe me, it was not a very nice transit across the Atlantic Ocean. How many of you all in here have ever gotten seasick? I was a mess. <laughs> How I prayed and prayed for those still waters. And you know, sheep will not drink if the water is disturbed, if the, if, if the stream is rushing too fast, they're afraid of it. So the shepherd has to go up, uh, you know, up the stream a ways and, and, and slow the water down by putting some rocks in front of it and dam it up a little bit. And that way the sheep can go and drink real full because that water's gotten still for them. So it'll be, it's important for us to notice here again, the key or the clue to where the water can be obtained lies with the shepherd. It is he who knows where the best drinking places are. So God leads us to these still waters. I know what it's like to be thirsty. And so do sheep. And God knows when we thirst. Look at Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And John 4.14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, our society today is a very thirsty society, isn't it? We, our society is looking for something that will satisfy the heart. And they're not going to find it until they find Christ. You know, that's the only thing that's going to satisfy, fully satisfy our lives, our hearts, is, is Christ in our life. I mean, we can try and look in other places. You know, people do some pretty crazy things to try, try and satisfy that longing that's deep in their heart. They'll, they'll go through many things until they find Christ and then realize that that's the only way that they can find full fulfillment. Now, verse 3, he, uh, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That word soul there in the Hebrew is nefesh, which literally translates to the word life. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So David's saying here, God refreshes my soul. Literally, he's reviving my soul. He's giving my soul recovery. Uh, you know, as I repent, and David has repented, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When, when sheep travel, they leave ruts in, the, ruts in the grass. And sometimes when they leave, when they leave the path, that's when they're most prone to danger by wolves and their enemies. So David writes here, God always keeps me in, the, in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I've often wondered why he put for his name's sake there. You know when you pray, you all, what do you always say at the end? In Jesus' name, right? So when we say in Jesus' name, or for Jesus' sake, we're taking the full force of God's honor and who he is and blanketing our prayer with that and submitting that to him. So we do it for his honor and for his glory whenever we pray. Even when we thank him for our meals, we do that. He leads me in paths of righteousness. By the way, uh, in Psalm 42:11, turn that over there. 
It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That phrase, right, that, those two words, cast down, that is an old English shepherd's term for when the sheep fall on their side and then they fall on their back. Did you know when a sheep falls on its back, it can't get back up? Oh, it'll bleed a little bit, trying to get back up, and it'll flail its feet. But until the shepherd notices it and then picks it back up and puts it back on, puts it back on, his, you know, on its feet, he's not going to be able to get up. And if he's not picked up and put back on his feet, he's, he's eventually going to die. So the good and the great shepherd looks out over his flock and makes sure that everybody's on their feet and on the right path. So that's what that means for us today, in the right paths. And he leads me in those paths for his name's sake. Again, Philip Keller says here, our behavior patterns in life and life habits are so much like that of sheep, it is well nigh embarrassing. First of all, scripture points out that most of us are, are a stiff-necked and stubborn lot. We prefer to follow our own fancies and turn to our own ways. We are like sheep. We have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And we, do, and we do deliberately, repeatedly, even to our own disadvantage, there is something almost terrifying about the destructive self-determination of a human being. It is inexorably interlocked with personal pride, self-assertion. We insist we know what is best for us, even though the, the disastrous results may be self-evident. Even though we know it's wrong, we still follow along the wrong paths because of our pride. The lights are a little hot, sorry. So we're now switching here shortly from the shepherd to the flock motif to what is going to be the imagery of a good host. But before we do that in verse 4, look at that with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Many of us in here have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I've never had anybody close, close to me die. I don't know what that's like. Although at work I see death almost every day. But there's a detachment there. But until it happens to you personally, that's the only time you can, you can I wouldn't say appreciate it, realize what that's really like. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was the pastor of yesteryear of the 10th Presbyterian uh, church over in Philadelphia, and he was coming home from the funeral of his first wife, and he was driving home with his kids, and he was trying to figure out a way on how he could comfort his kids. And so he asked God to help him out, and just at that time, a bus passed by his, uh, his vehicle, and the shadow of that bus overshadowed his car with, with the, you know, him and the kids in it, and then suddenly it, it dawned on him. He said, kids, what would you rather be hit by, a sh- uh, the shadow of a bus or the bus itself? And the kid says, well, Dad, the shadow. And he said, well, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ was hit by the bus of our sin. But today, only its shadow hits us. Your mother's fine, and she's in heaven now. She's safe. She's not sick anymore. So shadow here shows that that's what death really is. 
in reality. When the sheep had to go from pasture to pasture as they were led by the shepherd, they'd have to pass through these valleys. And sometimes these valleys had high cliffs that would obscure the sun, and there would be dark, deathly patches of darkness there. And if the sheep veered away from the path that the shepherd carved out, you know, they'd be susceptible to wolves and lions and all of their enemies. So what he's saying here is, you know, stick to the path of righteousness that God has carved out and stay there. Don't go falling into the shadow of death. I was uh, telling the folks at the first service that Danita and I, uh, we, we were not dog people in the beginning. I've got a dog now. Her name's Maggie. I, I love that thing to death. But before we had Maggie, we had Fred. My brother Chris was getting stationed in Busan, North Korea. I mean, not, not North Korea, you know, heaven forbid that place, but, but down in South Korea, in Busan, to be uh, commander of that base. And they had to live in this high-rise apartment, and they could not take Fred. Fred was a uh, Jack Russell Corby, Corgi, right? So picture a Jack Russell with legs that small, just running about like that. And so we took Fred in, not being dog people, didn't know what to expect. But over time, we fell in love with that dog. He, he was just a joy to have. And as time went on, Fred got sick. He, was, uh, he lived a lot longer than, than he should have. And the day came when we had to take him to the vet. And, and the doctor said, well, I'm going to give him a couple shots. The first one's going to put him to sleep, and the second one's going to, you know, put him permanently to sleep. So myself and Danita and Jenna, we were all in there. I, I don't think Joel was with us at the time. And they said their goodbyes. And there was Fred sitting on that stainless steel table at the vet's office. And they walked out, and the doctor came in, and he did what he said he was going to do. And as he walked out, I, was, I stood there alone with Fred, and I thought all about the good times we had with him. And slowly, the rising and falling of his his chest stopped, and I was stuck there. And the reality and the shadow of death really came, came, uh, became a reality for me that morning as I watched that animal and the, and the great affection that I had for it. You know, that's the closest that I've really come. But some of you all have walked through that shadow already. You all have walked through the pain and the anguish of, of losing a loved one and, you know, and, and, and yet still deep down in your heart, you're comforted because you know, because they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior, you're going to see them again. You're going to be blessed to have that great reunion once again with them. So death was only a shadow. And David says here, uh, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'll fear no evil. Did you know in the Old Testament, the word fear is found 366 times. That's a fear, do not fear for every day of the year almost. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was, a, it was like a, two, uh, a two-foot oak club that, you know, that the shepherd used to ward off uh, the enemies of the sheep. And the staff at the end of it was a crook. You've seen them before. And that's used to uh, keep snakes away pull sheep out of holes when they fall in there, and also use the clear branches. So the sheep says, those tools that you use for my defenses comfort me. And you know, how many times today has God comforted, you know, how many times in your life has God comforted you?
You know, when you have to go through the, the pains and the miseries and the frustrations and the disappointments of this life, God comforts us through those moments. And David communicates that here to us very vividly. So now we go to the gracious host in verses 5 through 6. Look at that with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over, runs or overflows. David's saying that even while he was out there in the wilderness running from Saul and running from Absalom, God was still gracious to him. He fed him. He met all of his needs. He was satisfied. You know, how many of us could say that today? Because, you know, most of the time today when trouble hits, sometimes we just want to give up totally on God. But David says, you know, you still prepare a table before me, even though all of this craziness is going on around me. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. It was customary back then when you take in a guest that you anoint their head with oil, you know, to relieve them from the stresses of their travel. But we don't do that today, do we? Uh, we had some friends over sometime last week, and uh, I, I knew one of them would have punched me in the nose if I had put some oil on their forehead. I, I don't know, maybe that's something we can bring back. But back in the days of shepherding, what the shepherd would do is when he sees his sheep with parasites and, and flies and everything flying all around them, what they would do is they, they'd mix up some oil with tar and sulfur and rub it on the nose. That way the flies can't go inside their nose and reach, reach into their brain and lay larvae in there. So anytime you go out to a, a place where there's livestock and you see the sheep or the goats bouncing their head around, that's because some parasites have gotten in there. Next, it says, my cup, my cup overflows. David had some overwhelming blessings in his life. He, he, you know, he couldn't be thankful to God any more than he was. And you know, I don't know about you, but I like Mexican food. And not once have I ever been, at least in my Mexican restaurant, every time that cup goes down a little bit, they're Johnny on the spot right there, filling it back up right away. I don't go thirsty in my Mexican restaurant. But, you know, there's another time here when it talks about a cup, but it's not here. It's in the New Testament. And Philip Keller says here, let me show that to you real quick. It is here that I grasp another aspect altogether, altogether of the meaning of the cup that overflows. There is in every life a cup of suffering. Jesus Christ referred to his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and at Calvary as his cup. And had it not overflowed with his life poured out for men, we would have perished. So we have our cup of blessing here, but we're also, we also need to be reminded that the cup that Christ drank for us was the ultimate cup that we need to be reminded of. And lastly, he says here, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was reminded of the time after the end of the day he'd bring the sheep in. And the sheep could say, I dwell in the house of where my shepherd dwells. There's a great shepherd, but there's also a bad shepherd. Philip Keller mentioned in his book that he had a fence separating his property, his pasture, from another uh, shepherd on the other side, but he was a bad shepherd. 
He didn't feed his sheep right. They were always thirsty. Uh, they weren't managed properly. They created ruts all over the place, and those ruts turned into gullies. The sheep were sickly, malnourished. And here he is on his side of the fence, and everything was wonderful. Lush pastures, the sheep were content, they're satisfied, they're fed. They have confidence in, in his leadership as a shepherd. Well, that fence line went all the way down to where the ocean was. And one day, when, when the tide went out, guess what those bad sheep, bad malnourished sheep did? They went around that gate into his yard. And they started gorging in all of the grass that he had over there. And they ate and ate and ate so fast, and their bodies were not used to getting that kind of a buffet. And so they got sick. So uh, Philip Keller came home one day, and he saw them lying there underneath a tree just as sickly as can be, and knowing that they have gorged themselves you know, when they shouldn't have. They should have eaten gradually. That's what a good shepherd would have done for them. So he called up the shepherd uh, next door to whom those sheep belonged to. He came over with a wheelbarrow, and he just chucked every one of them inside that wheelbarrow. And you know what he did to them? He slit all their throats right then and there because he didn't care about them. He said, they're sickly anyway. They're going to die anyway. He didn't even think about nurturing them to health. And that is a picture of the devil today. To those who are in the devil's fold and to those who are in Christ's fold. The devil don't care about you. In fact, he's just waiting to destroy you the way that bad herdsman destroyed those sheep and didn't even care for them. I'm so happy and I'm so glad and I'm so blessed that we're in the sheepfold of Christ, aren't you? If you're not in the sheepfold of Christ, the bad shepherd is waiting, just waiting for you to feel sick enough so that he can fully take you forever. So... My invitation to you is if you don't know the great shepherd, this great shepherd that David talks about, maybe today might be the day you want to surrender your life to him. He cares about when you're hungry. He cares about when you're thirsty. He cares about whether you're on the right path. A lot of people today are are choosing the wrong path. And it breaks our hearts when we see it happen. God wants to protect you also. Not only from this life, but from the afterlife also. So as we close now, let's just think about how wonderful and great our Good Shepherd is from this psalm. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank You, Father, that we're not left with one choice, but we're left with the choice of receiving You as our Lord and Savior. Lord, if we admit our sin to You, admit we're sinners, and ask You into our heart as our Savior, Father, we can get to know You intimately and forever in this life. We can experience the blessing of having our thirst, spiritual thirst quenched, our hunger quenched. We can have confidence in knowing that the direction where our life is going is the right place and is the right way. Lord, help us to make that decision today. We thank You, Father, for this great psalm. We thank You for Your Word. We thank you for the wisdom that it gives us today. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Help us to be faithful. And help us to choose you in this day and age until we see you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.